Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. First question, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, well, appreciate you having me on. I know I'm uh, one of many who's been on this podcast, and I don't want to break the string of, of saying thank you for pulling this all together. I know as I was getting my start in marketing, man, what I would have done to have had just like podcasts, like there are no places where you can learn and it's not three, four years behind because it's coming from a textbook has to be published and everything. So appreciate you and you and everyone that, that pulls these together. So um, yeah, to get into who I am, my name is Sam Keenly. I am one of the VPs of demand over at Refine Lab. So we are uh, a marketing organization that helps B2B startups really, really scale into their markets. Nice. Yeah. If you haven't heard of uh, Refine Labs, you're either with Patrick under a rock or you're maybe not in the marketing sphere because they're just everywhere. Like I wouldn't say every guest, but probably, you know, over 50%. We talk about Refine Labs somehow on this podcast just because dark social, all these different kind of things you guys have either pushed to the forefront or whatever. How does it feel being part of, maybe you've been on like, I don't want to call you guys a unicorn, but you've been on maybe a startup before that's blown up, but like, is this like, how is it for you? Is this like a first for you and being some on being on a team that's kind of exploding in this sense? Or is this like your second to third rodeo doing something like this? Yeah, it's wild. Uh, before here, <laughs> I was at a very, very large enterprise company. So the polar opposite of where we were at, it was okay. established, established company, market leader, you know, that, that usual wow. thing. So went from that to joining Refine Labs. I was the the ninth person to join the team. So go from, you know, 3,500 plus employees, billion dollars in annual revenue to, hey, you're the ninth person. We're figuring this thing out as we go. But uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it because I'm much more of the person who just like, let's figure it out. Let's work through it together. And, and I like being creative more than being stuck in a box and saying you have to play within this space. So I've, uh, I found that I really enjoyed growing the company and, and being a big part of it. So uh, appreciate Chris and Megan for all they've done for us. And it's, it's been a heck of a ride and a lot of fun with I mean, it's it's been fueled by the support of you all you know we we're scratching our own itch helping marketers but we wouldn't be what we are if you all weren't engaging um continuing the conversation and really coming along with us definitely what do you that's really cool kind of how you went from a large organization uh, to this rapidly moving now he's changing uh organism i think that's really cool and kind of a lesson to figure out where you fit best some people do better in those stable um not as quote-unquote innovative but if you had to like pinpoint one two three things of why refine labs is doing and this might be a question you've gotten over and over again of like what is your quote-unquote keys to success like drop the knowledge bombs on us but like what are those one to two things that you think you guys are doing you're not doing that allow you to grow and to stand out as much as you uh, currently are yeah the biggest thing probably not the right term for it i just call it common sense marketing we've all been buyers in b2b right we know how we go about buying yet for whatever reason b2b marketers like to pretend that we're still on this linear path downloading ebooks want to talk to people that are like sales reps sdrs not peers and everything so We've just been quick to say, you know, let's let's take a step back and is this really how purchases are being made today? And we're quick to say, you know, I I don't think that's it. So what if we built a strategy around how we believe that that happens and then validate it with client after client after client? And, you know, once we get 6, 12, 18 months into a partnership, we're seeing pipeline go through the roof from where they were before. And, and we run the analyses to see where things break down with old models. So I'd say that's probably the biggest thing is just, you know, getting back to the the fundamentals on how is buying being done today, not 10 years ago. 
That's good. I like your name for a common sense. Obviously, the rebuttal is one man or woman's common sense is in another's. But I think really what you're saying, at least from my vantage point, I don't work with tons of clients, companies. I'm, I'm kind of in-house. But like, I think one of the things I've found is a lot of times people just aren't, I don't know how to put it, but like, they're just like bullshitting. Like, it's just like, yeah, like we can, you know, do this one thing and everything all like all this stuff where like, I would find it just like, it's just down to earth. It's just real marketing in the sense of like, to your point, you're asking today, how do people buy? Like, regardless of what we did in the past, what we were thinking about doing in the future, it's for me, it's really kind of just being a contrarian thinker. It's saying from the basis, I'm not going to use this team using TikTok into my like, it may be in my kind of decision making, but it's really kind of just common sense may be the best word for it. But it's like almost from the basics, you're building up your strategy or your things rather than saying like, oh, whatever worked in the past or whatever is currently trending, you're always kind of using, um, I'd say critical thinking, actually using your brain rather than just mindlessly doing marketing and hoping it uh, works in that sense. Is that, am I on the track with how you kind of set it as common sense? Is that like, am I there or am I kind of taking it too far in a sense yeah. of like diminishing or making marketers feel like no, they're not using no, their I, brain? I definitely think you're onto it. I mean, it, it comes down to just basic human psychology and understanding people, how they want to be marketed to. So, I mean, hmm. we were doing this 15 years ago, we'd be on MySpace doing it, right? Who would have thought we'd be on TikTok <laughs> or anything else? It's it's showing up where your buyers are. Like, and, you know, as a B2B person, you can't force them to be on a certain platform to consume content in a certain way. You have to deliver it in the way that makes sense at the time and in the way that the buyer wants it. Otherwise, you're just force feeding something that may not happen. Yeah, definitely. You're trying to sell a steak to some vegetarians, which never turns out too well. Um, I Yeah, I'm fascinated personally, which nobody here listening cares what I'm fascinated about, but I'm fascinated about what's changed and what stayed the same in marketing through, I mean, even going back to, you know, direct mail ads, like selling like workout things, like what's still the same? It's speaking to people. It's always using you versus we or whatever. And I, I that fascinates me because I think for the next 20 years, grabbing onto those things that aren't changing and mastering those quote unquote are uh, foundational for future uh, success, at least how I see it. Yeah. So what are you, Sam, obsessed with? Like, what, what do you, what, I don't want to use a typical term. What keeps you up at night? Like, what are you just going deep into your, you know, someone has to call you to be like, dude, are you alive, man? Like, you know, I haven't heard from you for a week because you're just into like, for me, sometimes it's World War II, but like, what is that uh, kind of like, especially in marketing thing you're just obsessing about? You're just geeking out about. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Side note, we'll have to hop into a conversation about World War II after this. I'm, I'm with you. I'll, I'll go deep down those books. <laughs> That's the next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, marketing related, uh, the biggest things I'll, I'll find myself rabbit holing on pretty quickly is showing organizations how they can scale their pipeline and revenue results in ways other than just more leads, more budget. Everyone thinks that it all starts from the top of the funnel. If we want to improve everything, it's all going to flow through this magical little thing but it's all dictated by the amount up top. And in order to increase that amount, we have to put more money in, which in the old dated model, yes, that's really your only input because you as a marketer are gold based on leads, MQLs, whatever you want to call it. So what we've we've been doing is we come in with clients and we say, I'm great to hear you have a lead goal. I want to know what your revenue goal is because what we do is we like to work backwards from your revenue. And when you do that, you have so many more levers that you can control as a marketer in order to achieve those results. 
So you can go and work your way up. So, you know, beforehand when it was just volume, volume, volume spend, it's like, well, what if we kept that same amount of leads, same amount of spend, but made it more efficient in getting those leads into opportunities? What do we have at our disposal to do that there? So, okay, when we think about the question, how do we get people to want to talk to sales more often? Well, that's, you know, making sure you're bringing in qualified people, that they are part of your ICP that you can sell to. But then oftentimes what we'll see is there's often a lot of people who disconnect between raising their hand or that lead and then becoming an opportunity due to the sales rep just can't get in touch with them or other things. So you can plug in a tool like Calendly, Chili Pipe or something like that. So that way they're choosing the time that they want to have that meeting, you know, on-demand culture, make it as easy as possible. So, you know, you increase that rate from 10 to 20%, you just doubled the amount of, of opportunities you had. You didn't have to add any money mm. into the pipeline or into the, your lead gen machine and anything. So there's so many different things you can do from conversion rates, or even when you go further down funnel and, and you start to think about your company's product offer, anything like that, run a loss analysis and understand why are we losing deals? Once sales have qualified them, what's going on? And so we'll usually see things like pricing, loss to competitor, lack of feature functionality. Those should all guide your, your strategy moving forward. So if you lose a lot of deals due to pricing, there's clearly a mismatch between what your market values your product and what you position it as. So you either need to increase the quality delivered or you need to decrease your price. We've done this with clients. They've dropped their price in, in one instance and all of a sudden they start winning deals again. So, I mean, your customers and your market are going to tell you what you should be doing. It's up to you if you listen or not listen, and that's going to dictate marketing success. Hmm. So do you find out of that you're more obsessed with like strategy, because what you're talking about to me is just textbook strategy. You're diagnosing, we're looking at all of these things where, okay, this is the issue. It's we're losing deals because of price or whatever that, you know, you figure it out. It's like a doctor, right? And then we have these guardrails and then you have an eventually coherent actions. We're going to lower price. We're going to raise price and all this. Do you find that super fun, like strategical thinking, or do you like that there's every company a new challenge or a new kind of, as you just work through it, you're always working through different things at different companies, or is both of that like strategy and you can just keep doing it over and over again, like the part that fuels you, which of those two are do both of them? Exactly. It's both for me. Um, I'm big into, I just like to constantly learn. I'll get bored pretty quickly. So if I'm solving the same thing over and over. So that was a big reason why I went from in-house to agency is the in-house, it's same market, same product, all of that. Whereas agency, you have however many clients you want to be working with, all with different products, different markets and everything else. So you just learn so much more and there's always a different problem to be solved. So you get to create these frameworks around how to approach things where if mm -hmm. we're seeing pricing, but with each client, you're going to have to figure out their small nuances to every company. So how do we resolve that for each of them? So that's what I really enjoy about that side. Yeah. In just from a LinkedIn post that you made, um, you didn't specifically say it, but you shared a bunch of resources, people you follow in all these different spaces. And from that, there's some of the health people. I just feel like you might be someone who likes to optimize or just like you kind of use the word efficient, right? You're at, at all costs, maybe even. And I, I've been that way before too, and currently still am that way that I just love to optimize. If there's something we can do better, if I can not eat two hours before sleep and sleep way better, and then have a great next day like dude i'm doing that rather than eating that bowl of popcorn right before bed is that accurate for you are you an optimizing junkie kind of like me where it's just like anywhere i can optimize i'm trying to and then you bring that to your marketing to your actual business or are you not that kind of uh, optimizing you just are trying to refine yourself yeah. uh moderately i'm gonna have to steal that i'm a junkie of a different type um 
<laughs> yeah, no, it, it's true. It's just, that's the way that my mind works. It sounds like yours is very similar where it's, you know, how do we get these incremental improvements over time? Because that's really how you get to the, the end sustainable goal. It's not searching mm. for one magic bullet. It's just doing the right things consistently over time. And that's what's going to get you to where you want. So that's a big part of what fuels why people run lead gen is they want quick results. Oh no, we're down pipeline 20% or we're, we're short of our lead goals two days before the quarter. Let's inject $5,000 and hit it. It's like, well, yeah, but that's just kind of a band-aid approach. If the demand isn't there for you all, don't you think you should be addressing that instead of trying to cover it up and say that these ebook downloads are people who now want to buy your product? Like, eh, you know, conversation for another time. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely big into always looking for ways for just like, what can I learn a little bit better? How can I improve my health a little bit more? Um, so I think a lot of that comes from just, I love getting analytical on things, but also thinking bigger picture, as you said, like earlier strategy and, and okay, so here's the data point, but what's the insight or what does that mean I have to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you know, data is data, but it's what we kind of do with it. And that is pretty obvious. Uh, so it maybe didn't even need to be uh, touched on, but I found as you were talking about it, um, one thing that just came to my mind too, when you were talking about kind of what geeks you out is just the fact that obviously you guys are getting hired by a company to help them with their marketing, which then leaks into pricing and all that, which is clearly marketing four P's. But anyways, like I feel one thing with marketing is it's moving it's like seeping everywhere. It's like it was just in this storage for a while, forever, how many years. And now it's like everywhere. And I think that's a good thing because I think marketing needs to work up and down the funnel, sideways on the funnel. Like it needs to be there because like if the pricing's off or if the product, whatever's off, like I do think that's a marketing problem because no matter how much marketing. So do you see that change or that shift happening where marketing's now becoming quote unquote more of like a business impact player where before it was like, go make some t-shirts and make sure we have the booth at the event. And now it's like, shit, we need you guys to save us or to, you know, take us to the next level. Do you see that shift in marketing or is it a different shift going on that maybe I missed in that? explanation. Yeah, I'm absolutely seeing it. And that has to do with marketing, being able to have a seat at the table because we're saying I'm driving revenue now and I can prove it. So the organizations mm -hmm. where marketing doesn't quite have a seat, it's your traditional sales led organization, just get stuff for SDRs. We have a marketing to sales handoff. You get this after that, don't touch it. We've got it from here. So that organization, yes, go make me my t-shirts, go run your little events and, and let <laughs> us do our thing over here. It, the savvier organizations where they understand the power of brand always being there to deliver value and then understanding that, you know, sales without marketing is not successful, like marketing without sales is not successful. It's a true team effort. And that's something that I've always struggled with and not to go down the ra attribution rabbit hole for the what you always hear from from our team. But the biggest conflict that I have with it is that it creates these internal competitions because people are fighting over who gets who gets credit for this lead or op or whatever. I'm just like, who cares? We should be keeping the business open and driving <laughs> revenue for us at the end of the day. That's why we're all here. So partnering Hell with yeah. like when you see strong marketing and sales alignment, you will see your results take off because the sales leader understands you know, marketing's not going to be good if sales isn't providing feedback to them. And it's just this this ongoing cycle where, you know, if, if you keep competition internally just because you want to, you know, have your organization structured as how it's always been, that's where you, you see it really start to fall apart. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's really good. I uh, heard I didn't listen to the actual keynote, uh, but there was a keynote a long time ago, probably like two years ago, just feels like uh, forever ago by Gong's CMO, I think. And he talked about like you need to know your CRO or your CFO's coffee just in that fact of like you need to know like what the salespeople like in their coffee because you're so close to them. It's like, you know, you're married to someone and you're sleeping in different beds. No offense to anybody who does that. It's like, no, it's time to buy that king size bed and get into it together so we can take our relationship to the next you know point um and i know there's some people who hate using relationships dating and marketing so i just uh, broke a cardinal sin there but yeah no totally marketing and sales i think that's maybe what is leading it or at least you know like the like you said the better organizations have that huge overlap with their they're really working together rather than hey i have my goal to get seven passes in this game rather than hey we need to win the game so if i get some assists i do if i get a rebound i do but uh, it's it's for the win for the team and not as much our department quote yeah unquote. exactly Nice, nice. So I saw you answer this question. So for me, it's going to be, I'm going to test you to see if you answer it the same way. In a LinkedIn comment, you had kind of an AMA a few days ago and someone asked you, which is my question. So I want to charge the dude with plagiarism, like he stole my patent, but like he asked you, what is marketing? Like, can you define marketing? And that's a question I ask every person that comes on this podcast, because I find it so fascinating that a simple concept in our mind maybe is so vast and so wide of how we describe it. So if you had to answer that question, you did already, but now on the spot, like what is the job that marketing should get it done in a company? Like, what is it there for? Yeah. This is the hardest, easy question that will ever be asked. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the way that I like to think of it is it's creating relationships with your potential buyers by showing them that you understand their needs. So how are you creating brand or product mm. awareness with them? Are you showing up where they're at, where they're spending their time, where they're consuming content? And then are you looking at it not from a, you have to, in this session, download this ebook, let us know that you want to talk to sales, but are you able to look at the true long-term growth to see the impact where, you know, two quarters, we might focus on this industry, next two quarters, we might focus on this product, and you're able to see growth, you should see growth in pipeline and revenue, as you start to focus on those, or if you're not, that means your marketing isn't working, you need to go back to the drawing board. So uh, it really starts with just creating the relationships to begin with. Hmm, hmm. I like that. That's a somewhat simple definition. Um, I've heard so many now that they all kind of encapsulate similar, you know, there's like the same mess or the right message, right person, right channel, these kind of old school ways. Um, but really, it's to your point, you, you need to be in that right channel where they're at. You, you're that first touch point, how they even learn about you awareness, which is obviously and then even just in some of your previous comments, you know, marketing, it doesn't just stop there. It's not just, hey, we do this and then marketing leaves the room and sales and everybody else. It's a little, it's more comprehensive than that. It's nurturing that, gotta hate that word, you know, kind of building the relationships more with people. So I, I like that simple definition. So then using your definition, you may not do this. I am a very judgmental person with myself first than others. But like when you see marketing in the world, how do you use that definition or how do you create the dichotomy, which isn't there, but I'm going to make it there of good marketing and bad marketing? Like, how do you go about saying that was some damn good marketing or like that was a piece of shit and I don't want to see it ever again? Like, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's definitely subjective, right? So <laughs> I say, you know, it's going to be different for everyone, but you also... It's one of those things that you know as soon as you see it either like i get it that landed or you're just kind of cringing in the back like 
who who just thought this was going to be a good idea to make this into a TV ad. So uh, <laughs> I guess some common things in, in good marketing that I would say is like, it's relevant. It speaks to, you know, they clearly understand their market, who they're talking to. It delivers value. So it's like, what's the, what's this product or brand going to do for me specifically? Like, I don't, I don't care what brand it is. Is it going to help me or not? And also a big area that, that I've seen a lot of success uh, in the past handful of years and really differentiating is not being boring or robotic, but having a point of view, having a personality, people want to associate with something that just like, isn't just there. I mean, when you think of Microsoft, you're just kind of like, eh, they make a good computer. There's no real attachment mm -hmm. to it. But then, I mean, I, I use this all the time. Like you got this water bottle right here. I put stickers all over it. It's all B2C brands, but they all have very distinct points of view on, on different areas. They're, they've got a culture that's associated with it, but very few B2B brands mm. are able to do that because they're so scared of pissing someone off, saying the wrong thing, eliminating some part of their ICP who might not buy in the future. So what I find is B2B brands that, that do that it actually works out a lot better for them than what they worry about by playing it too conservative. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm a hundred percent on the bandwagon of category creation. Christopher Locke had all of that. Where do you find and clearly baked in your answer? There was the fact that like companies aren't doing this enough, but I have like a concern that you could take it too far and create a story that nobody gives a shit about or create a movement or a category. So like, how do you, you guys have clearly executed well on it. It could have been intentionally or in, you know, not intentionally like through at uh, Refined Labs, but like, how do you go about creating that story and actually making it something that people opt into say, I also see the world the same way rather than creating a world, a story that people look at and be like, that's a cool story world, but I don't live in that. Like, I don't see that. Yeah. So the relevance and the value have to come first before that personality or whatever else. So the way that Chris mm. talks about marketing is very different from the way that I talk about marketing. We're both talking about the same principles at the end of the day, but you know, we, we speak to how we as like my tone of voice is is how I speak to it. It's not the, how does Refine Labs talk about this? We empower everyone to do that. But at the end of the day, we, we are using validation from people like you and others who engage with us to understand, does this concept, does it land with you? Do you feel this pain? Are you encountering this? So those two come first and then we'll inject more of our, our specific thoughts, feelings, anything about it. But yeah, those two have to come first. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Those are prerequisites to even taking the class of story. Um, and to, to what you're kind of saying there, I think there's a key nugget that you guys have done. And that I see is almost treating story in the sense like product where you put it out for the world, you get some feedback, you see what do they like? What do they don't like? Rather than just saying, this is the story. And I think maybe Chris has said it, maybe he hasn't, but like your story's evolved. Like it was one thing, it didn't change like black and white, but it's evolved. And I think like any product, it starts as something meant for some reason, but it needs to continually improve through intentional conversations with people listening, which I think is a skill in real life and in marketing is like, how do I listen and know if this, like if nobody responds, that in itself is a signal. <laughs> like, hey, this messaging or this story isn't as sexy or as cool as we believe. So I, I think that's really key. Did you 
do you do anything? I mean, you guys have a weekly Zoom. Like, do you do anything out of the normal to get those insights to gain that feedback? Or is it just really through building the community on that weekly Zoom that you can test uh, things in a sense to see if it uh, resonates or not? Yeah, so it's a combination of the, the community through demand gen live and everything, but also what are we seeing with our customers and the conversations with their stakeholders? What do they care about? So when we first launched, mm -hmm. we were just here, we were running paid media, here's your search, social, we'll execute it all for you. And then we got to a point where we understood, hey, if we can control the messaging a little bit more through the creative, tell that story in the feed, because we see that one out of 200 people are actually going to click on this, but 200 people are going to see this. So that's an example of where we adapted to the market needs. We built out mm -hmm. a creative team to support that. So there's, there's instances like that, where if you want to grow, you also have to take in feedback from what's your, what do your customers need, or you're going to be left behind and you're just not going to be able to see that opportunity. So our retainer has gone up over time, but we continue to add value behind it. So it's not like we're just raising the price to raise price, but there's a reason for what we do because we continue to add more services that are, that are coming and being requested from customers and prospects, not just because we think that they would be good, but the validation is telling us if you do this, this will be more valuable to us. Hmm. No, that that's critical. I think a lot of times, even in uh, older companies, sometimes we just can't call the baby ugly when it is. And I find so many times if it's my baby, I've tried so hard to not have it be the case where it's like if that baby's ugly and this is like the example breaks down quickly because you can't make a baby prettier in that sense. But like if that baby's ugly, first step, you have to like be aware of that and accept it. Like my baby's ugly, like accept, OK, maybe we should have had this creative team earlier, but like, hey, we're going to make the pivot we're going to do. And I think within your organization that's almost DNA backed, which then comes out into your story, into everything, into your hiring, into, you know, it just seeps into everything, which I think is a, a skill for marketers is like an ability to strong beliefs held lightly. I like to say it's like we believe these things strongly, but if feedback, if the market tells us otherwise, we will drop it and pivot because it's not about being right. It's about winning. Um, and I don't care about being right. I'd be wrong if we can still win. So, yeah, I like that point. Those are some really kind of good insights as to actually practically what you're doing and not just like, oh, I think companies should pivot uh, their stuff. It's like we've done it. Uh, we're eating what we uh, put on the shelf in that sense. I like that. So. And you might have already talked about something, but what is something that like someone posts on LinkedIn and you just disagree with it? You're like, do people still believe this or they're just getting it wrong on this aspect of that statement? Does anything come to mind of things you disagree with in marketing or is the laundry list too long that, you know, just the top one in that sense? <laughs> it's not too long. There's a couple of core things, you know, that, okay. that, um, like the first one I was think of is like all leads are created equal. So back to that funnel analogy where if we put a thousand leads or 10,000 leads, it's all going to flow through at the same rate. Like, no, someone who downloads an ebook is not the same as someone who says, I want to get a demo of your product. Yet people treat them mm -hmm. the same. So that's where we help them. We say, you know, it's like, look at your funnel, analyze it, start splitting out those sources and evaluate the performance from those leads to revenue. And you'll start to pretty quickly see like, Hey, we got a thousand ebook downloads, but there's only five opportunities from it. What happened? It's like, oh, they didn't want to buy. They they wanted the content. They wanted to learn. And then you get five people who raise their hand, say they want a demo. Huh, what do you know? You have five opportunities from that. So it's understanding, you know, what's the true intent behind things and, hmm. and understanding when is it the right time to use different levers and reaching those marketing goals. But yeah, the leads not being the same is probably the biggest one where I just, I, I cringe a little bit every time that, that people say like, we need more leads. I'm like, why? What kind of leads? Very, very 
open ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is no God for leads. They were not created equal and they're all different. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I totally believe you. Um, it just made me think of like, you know, we're all created equal under God, whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, totally see that. And I think for me, at least, I don't see that a ton directly on LinkedIn, but I would probably see it sometimes indirectly in content. And I do think to your last point that you ended on, more is easier than just being smarter about it. I would like, like you can obviously always say, Hey, I'm going to do more things. Like I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start doing all this rather than sometimes like the smart thing is just like, what are we not going to do? What's like the things we'll subtract. Uh, and I, yeah, I think that sometimes we're like, we need more leads rather than actually using critical thinking to be like, why aren't the large amount of leads we're currently pumping into our system, not actually turning in. And that is where you got back to the whole diagnosing a scene where things are breaking down and then putting actions in place too. So yeah, that's really cool seeing kind of the full, full circle and kind of having a constant theme. I always strive for those in these interviews sometimes have, you know, themes that pop out in that sense. So you've talked a lot about demand gen, lead gen, all this stuff, like you've had posts on it, so you don't have to spend a ton of time on it. But for someone like me, who is just totally not in this space, super hardcore of demand gen versus lead gen. Like how do you in the simplest terms create the dichotomy between those yeah. two? Demand gen is the long game. It's building awareness and trust within your audience with the intent of growing scalably over time. Lead gen is how do I get people to, how do I capture information so I can pass it over to sales? So it's, you know, it's the gated content and, and saying like, Hey, this is a lead, but you know, we live in 2022 now. Uh, if if you want someone's email address, go to Rocket Reach, <laughs> go to Zoom Info, go to something like that. I can go and get you an email address for a lot cheaper than your CPL. And it's going to be the same thing. You're going to call them. They're going to say, no, I don't want to talk to you. So that's where we say, you know, build that context over time mm -hmm. with them. And, and creating true demand is, is having people that are going to understand who you are, the value you can provide, and they'll come to you when they're ready. Hmm. So would you say that the actions stem from your mindset or are the actions sometimes similar, but it's like small changes to them. So if we're thinking in the lead gen, we may still do X play, but we're, we're kind of having different metrics for it. Or is it totally different outcomes? Like if you're a demand gen kind of mindset, you're going to do these sets of activities. And if you're lead gen, these set or are there overlap and like, activities you would do depending on what you believe in or the yeah. model you use there's overlap so i mean you'll still need to create content for them so that ebook is still valuable but how it's presented and distributed is where it differentiates between the two so lead gen says gate it someone downloads this they're ready to talk to sales demand gen says educate your market let them learn about this if they get value immediately they'll say hey i want to talk to your sales team they'll find that form buyers aren't stupid top right corner we've all been trained that's the main cta if you want to talk to someone so <laughs> They will go to that if they want to buy, or they just might not be in a spot yet. And, you know, B2B contracts are long. They're one year, they're three years. So someone might've signed a contract three months ago. They'll see that your product's better and it could help them over time. They just might not be ready for it internally yet. They might be growing over the next six months. They might not have the budget, but that doesn't mean that they're never going to buy. So continuing to educate them mm -hmm. is, is critically important to building that snowball over time. It's just playing the long game with it. Wow, that that's very helpful for me. I've never put it per se into this like it's almost as you're talking about it's almost like a frame like a mindset. And I don't want to like get too like fluffy, but it's not like, you know, 
I don't know, like scrum or certain things that are like, you do this, 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 like it's a way of thinking. It's almost, or it's a way of doing, it's a way of thinking of like, Hey, we're demand gen, which means we're thinking differently about these things, which means we're going to do small tweaks. We're going to ungate it. We're going to, you know, do zoom kind of conferences where people can interact with each other. We don't care if like they meet people like whatever, like we're just, I think it, it, is that true for you? Do you see it more as this like mindset, this kind of way of thinking rather than like demand gens, people do these things and it's like kind of a step-by-step rather than like a philosophy. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, it's a, it's a mindset, it's a framework, it's the toolkit to be able to do it. But just as you're saying that, what, what it makes me think of is lead gen is the company still believing that they have power in this. So if you want my content, you have to fill out this form. If you want to talk to sales, we're going to call you. Whereas demand gen is recognizing, hey, buyer has all the power now. So if you want this content, cool, read it whenever you want. If you want to talk to us, cool, fill out this form, select the time you want to chat with us. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, it's does the executive team, the board, whoever, do they, are they trying to force this thing to happen? Or are they building this community over time and, and saying, you know, hey, we're building a great thing over here. If you want to be part of it, let us know. Hmm. That's, that's really helpful. Thank you for sharing. And I think the issue with people not getting demand gen is we make these high level changes per se of like, yeah, well, fine, we'll ungate it. Like whatever, John doesn't want to gate it. Fine, we won't. But they're not making almost the fundamental or the foundational changes in the way they think of we're no longer in control. Because that I think is a uh, you have to rethink to get there. Like you have to forget, unlearn what you know. Like we are all powerful as an organization and start to realize, hey, the buyer is doing millions of things online, finding out about us, finding out about our competitors. Like we're no longer in control. And like, I would almost have someone buy that rather than like know about demand gen because they'll just do things that are closely aligned to demand gen rather than someone like listening to Chris Walker once or you guys once and be like, demand gen, I'm all in. And it's like, but you don't believe the core like premise of it. It's like, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus like was born again. Like, it's like, okay, well, you're kind of struggling here because that's like, you have to believe that to do it. Do you, do you see that, that there's kind of like foundational beliefs that sometimes need to be in place for demand gen actually to have those long-term effects or am I getting too into yeah, the weeds? I mean, there's on two this. big ones. There's one patience to can attribute everything. Like if you can get to those, <laughs> as I say, you know, it's very basic items we're talking about foundational items, but you know, patience B2B, it's not an impulse buy that you're making. This is a long-term investment and multiple people have to be on board with this. You're going to be impacting many people's day-to-day jobs. So understanding that, you know, it's not a light switch where dollar in, dollar out or whatever your ROI is going to be, but it's going to take time for the snowball to start build. I know I keep referencing the snowball, but that's really what it looks like over time, because once you get that demand Hmm. going, it's going to continue to grow. So that's a big part of it. And then the other part comes into the, you know, the measuring every touch point. Was it worth it? Did it land? It's just like, sometimes you just have to know it. it, it, You're not going to always be able to get a one-to-one every five clicks, we're going to get a customer in B2B. So I had a, I had a friend ask me last summer, I live over in Charleston, South Carolina. In the summer, there'll always be those planes that drive by with the banners that have the, the ad on them, right? You see them always in like Miami and other places. And it was an ad for a car insurance company. And I'm like, that's dumb. How are they going to know if it's working? That's got to be expensive. I'm like, well, you're right. I mean, it's just saying go to geico.com. There's nothing specific to Charleston or an offer or anything. But what you can do is you can, if you're if you're Geico or whoever this car insurance company is, what you can do is go into things like Google Analytics and see, hey, we have this plane fly Saturday. 
do we see an uptick in our in our site traffic? Do we see people go to learn more during that time? So it's mm. it's in correlation and it's not direct attribution. And that's what so many marketers struggle with is they feel like if they don't have the direct attribution that they're flying blind. But strong marketers are able to draw correlations where there might not be a, a direct link one to one, but you're able to see these senses where I targeted this specific geo. I went after this specific uh, persona or things like that. So that's where I say, you know, it's, as you get into that, that's where it can be really impactful. Hmm. That's a terrific example because I don't see those up in Wisconsin, Green Bay. Uh, there's no uh, ocean or anything nice around here, but you see those and, and that is a key point. And I think like this just goes back to common sense that you started this podcast with is like, Think about our lives. Like if we lived the way that we do our business, like our lives would be just terrible. Like, you know, like your wife would be like, why don't you want to go out with Joanne and John? It's like, well, they don't do anything for me. Like the ROI is little. Like, how do I know what I'm going to get from them? And it's like, well, you just don't know the serendipity, the things that can come from getting some coffee. It's like, so I think there's so many things in life that obviously you can measure your, Hey, you're doing 300 on the bench this week, 320 next week. But there's so many things in life that are not attributable of like, this was a good decision or this was a bad decision, but we get like in the business mode and we start to be like, everything needs to be trackable. Like if John took a shit at like 1130, I know there's a productivity dip. Like we need to make sure people use the right, like it's just too much at times. So I, I find that's something I'm drawing from this is just a fact of like, whether it's how we buy or how we like attribute things in our life. It's like, man, we need to just sometimes use some common sense rather than needing direct uh, proof or direct things of like, my wife does these four things for me. It's like, no, she just gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. That's not attributable. I don't know why it's there. Like what that uh, maybe some like dopamine or whatever, but still, I, I think that's super helpful to get out of that mode uh, for a marketer, um, which gets me to my next question, which is, you, you kind of talk about B2B marketers. I'm going to put in marketing marketers, but you can obviously hyper-focus on B2B marketers. What skills really matter moving forward? 22, we're in 2022, like next five years, like what skills are most essential for a marketer to survive in these years? And not just, you know, be some bomb on a company, be a junkie, but be someone who actually is adding value, be a linchpin. What are those skills, whether soft or hard yeah. that you think are critical? This one's used a lot. It's true though. Empathy. So being able to put yourself in your customer's shoes, and this goes back to our common sense marketing, right? So how do they want to be spoken to? Where are they spending their time? <laughs> how are you going to make their job easier? How are you going to help them perform better? Um, so being able to get away from what you want to do as a company, generate more leads or whatever, but how do you do that? So I'd say that's a big part. And then the other side of it is, is getting to the business results. So I remember being in, in meetings early in my career and sitting with, whether it was my marketing leaders or company leaders and saying, Hey, our click-through rate this month was 0.5%. I'm so excited. They're like, cool. What's that mean for our company revenue? Is that bringing in customers? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. I can't attribute that. And so then they were just like, Okay, you go back to your cube, do your thing, and and when you can talk that, you can come have a seat at the table again. They didn't actually say that, but you know that's the hmm. the gist of what it what came yeah. away with it. So understanding how you are impacting business results is is critical. So being able to have the data, but also we spoke to this earlier. Data without context is meaningless. So you can have your data point, 
more than putting that on a slide, say, what does this data point mean? So define it. Is this good or bad? And then what is the, what's the insight? What's the action that's coming off of it? So we noticed that this audience performed three times better. Most people leave it at that. It's like, cool. Okay. Thanks, Sam. This audience performed three times better than this audience. So what we're going to do is shift our budget away from this one into this one. And we've also seen that this audience converts down our funnel at X percent leading to this much revenue. So we anticipate we should get 2X revenue next month. You've got their attention now. So being able to connect to business results is, is mm. definitely a skill that more marketers are, are going to need. But that's where, you know, you can't get too caught up in attribution, but playing that long game and really understanding how that all comes to fruition, being on the same team as sales, that's what's going to make it all happen. Hmm. Yeah, those are two skills definitely in uh, high demand and probably only will be uh, kind of getting more in high demand as the future goes, as we become more uh, demand generation minded, you know, really having the ability to tie the results. Or I think, I mean, really what you're saying is just think critical. It's not just saying, oh, here's a data point. It's like, why is that data point there? And what does it mean? And using uh, some cognitive energy to actually get uh, the bits that you said, right? That, oh, these people are going to be where we put our emphasis or whatever. And, and really thinking maybe even futuristically, it's always next steps. Like, okay, we have this, what are we going to do because of that, which is good. So one final question based off of kind of like your actual career, and then we'll get to the three final questions. But if you could go back in time and do anything differently or do things the same, that would in a sense shorten your learning curve. So, you know, if it took you 10 years to get to where you are now, what would you do differently that might get you there in eight, might get you there in six, might get you there in five. And I know it's not about rushing to get where we're at. Everything happens for a reason, all these cliches, but like thinking on that, is there anything that comes to mind to like, I wish I would have did this or I wish I would have stopped yeah. doing that. Eliminate that's not my job description from your vocabulary because that's where you learn. If you only stay in your job description, you're only going to do what you're paid for. But the number of times where I proactively went to learn from someone else to, you know, for a while, I wasn't even in digital marketing, but I wanted to learn about it. So I did my day to day and I also reached out to that person at the company and said, hey, can I shadow you? Can I learn from you? That was a huge jumping off point. If I had waited on my mm. career path to get to that, who knows how long it would have taken. So being, you know, it sucks when you're young, you're not going to be paid a lot, you're going to be putting a lot of hours, but that's part of the, you, sometimes you just have to eat shit, you know, that's the way that you grow. And that's how you learn more or less. So being able to put yourself in a spot where you have to say, you know, I'm gonna have to do extra work, but this is how I'm going to learn and put myself in a good position. So that's how you really take advantage of that. And you can shorten some of it. Hmm. That's really good. That's really good. I would almost uh, like something I've learned is just say yes more like earlier in your career, which would just be like essentially what you're saying when you say that's not in my job description is no, uh, I'm not willing to do that, whatever that is. And I think the more you can just be early on in your career, you know, hungry to say yes to whatever it is, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to shadow. Yes, yes, yes. And then as you obviously get to where you're at or further, like people just then you have to make that weird paradox of, okay, I said yes to get here, but I can't keep doing that. I need to now say no, be hyper-focused what I'm good at, can't take coffees with everybody. Um, it's I, I look at that with creating content for individuals is that there's a paradox. You have to write every day. You need to put so much content out, but at some point you need to realize, hey, quantity isn't it. It's, it's just doing a few things. So you need to make that switch, but the only way you get super competent at creating content, whether it's writing, audio, video, is doing a crap ton of it. So it's kind of a weird thing of you know, say yes to every opportunity, but also realize at some point you need to just do what you're really good at once you get to that point where you're a VP or um, way up there. So that's a good one. Um, 
jumping into three final questions. Sorry, I'm going kind of quicker. I don't want to seem like I'm not, you know, I always try to give some space after a question, but I, I'm just trying to keep this train moving. So I don't want to seem too much like a dick right now. But so the final three questions, the two first two will be highly uh, contextual to what we've been talking about. And the final one will be a little bit different, just a heads up. So first question, what is one thing, and we've talked a bit about this, but what is one thing that you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing in the past one, two, three, four years? So I believe quantity was it, Gary V model. Now I believe put one good piece a week out and that's it. Like what is that huge mental shift for you in the past, you know, five or less years? Yeah, probably the, I mean, the volume one was a big one. I came up in uh, a very lead gen oriented organization where I took on the digital marketing and it was, okay, cool. How do we make this money go as far as possible in terms of leads? So CPLs were everything. I didn't care about anything past that. And I was able to succeed in my goal. I increased our, our the number of leads that we got at a, at a cheaper cost, but I never had any idea what the down funnel impact of that, which was a huge, you know, it's like looking back what I know now, what I've done it the same way. Absolutely not. But that experience is what led me to get to where I am to say, I'm not the only one who's gone through this and I see the fault and how that works. So now that I have experienced that firsthand, I know exactly how this is panning out for others and I can speak to why you need to do this and going beyond the metrics to say, cool, you had all that in platform. Now look at down funnel and see, is it as efficient as you think, or does it just look good in a platform? Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely makes you more credible in your role to have lived it, right? Because you guys preach the whole shift or transformation from that of lead quantity to lead quality. So living it is definitely helpful. That's a good one. And obviously always tying it back to Kind of what you're doing right now, which is awesome. So the next question, it's based off the movie Inception. So regardless if you watched or not, quick synopsis is people go into others' dreams to incept ideas. So then the next day, that person who got incepted wakes up and believes that idea is theirs and they do it. They sell their company. They let John buy in for 50%, whatever. So if I gave you the opportunity to incept one idea in the mind of every marketer on the planet, maybe it's what you just talked about, but like they wake up tomorrow and they believe you know, we need to talk to customers and we're, and that's my idea. And I'm going to go do it every day. Now, what is that idea you incept that then everybody, every marketer acts on the next day as if it's their own, not belief? buying the shiny object. Marketing tech is not going to fix your problems. Just mm. looking back critically be like, am I doing just the foundational things? Right. Am I creating content they care about? Am I, is our website just set up well where people can easily talk to us? Is it buyer friendly? Not, How's this chatbot going to improve this? Or you know, like God knows what's being sold these days. But yeah, if we could get rid of this like silver bullet, fix it mentality until, I mean, you, you'll go into implementation and you realize that you've just taken on way more work than you thought and it never pans out as that case study says it's going to. So mm -hmm. I think that would be a big one where it's just like, <laughs> get rid of that like one quick fix mentality. It's not going to be there. Hmm. Yeah, focus on the fun fundamentals, the basics, the ball, the dribbling, tackling, all that. Um, yeah, no, I can hear the MarTech people screaming in the background, like, no, we need more MarTech. It's uh, software is going to eat the world. Like, we need more of it and all this stuff. But totally agree with you. Keep it simple. Uh, subtract to then add on rather than always thinking it's one more ad away from blowing up or whatever or taking my uh, marketing to the next level. That's a good one. And it would be a great world uh, if that actually did happen. So final question. 
what is one thing outside of business and marketing you do that when you come back to do business and marketing, you just do it better because of that thing. So for me, that might be my morning 20 minute meditation. Every day I sit down and do that meditation. I come to my work, I come to marketing with just better mind, better eyes. Like what is that thing for you that you do that enables you to do better at work? I don't read books about marketing. I, I've read enough <laughs> growing up and, and early in my career where I got to the point where the first 20 pages told me everything I needed to know. And it was all just regurgitated from, you know, things over and over. But what I found has, has been most helpful is reading books about, like we said, like World War II, other strategic, like, you know, strategy in, in different areas, whether it was like the Shoe Dog book with about Nike, uh, I said World War II, other just like I'm reading right now about a fighter pilot. But there's so many nuggets and biographies, non-profits, nonprofit, uh, non-fiction books. I, work, I used to work with nonprofits. It's all it's permanently ingrained in there. They got nuggets too. No. Yeah, they do. Um, but there's so many things that you can learn from just people's experiences, mm. things that do translate because it's either it's, you know, it's just basic human psychology. It's how these are fundamentally wired into us and they translate into marketing to business. It's not specific yeah. to B2B or anything else. So um yeah, that's probably my biggest one. I don't recommend everyone do that. You know, I'm not saying don't ever not read marketing books. I'm just at the point where that's where I get a lot of my insights from is, is going beyond because that's what everyone's doing in your industry, right? It's like chasing the same competitors, reading the same stuff. So how are you learning and expanding beyond what everyone else is doing? Definitely. That's a really good one, man. I've, uh, I've heard a lot about kind of from Charlie Munger and different people. There is really good need to kind of have this deeper, not deep, wide understanding of all sorts of things, investing, the stock market, uh, you know, wars and all these things, because I think the best thinkers are the ones who do have that very rounded off, um, just, you know, just knowledge. They're just very, you know, smart people rather than like, well, I read that, that marketing book that came out a week ago. It's like, to be honest, you got probably 10 to 15 marketing books or books on marketing you need to read. And the rest is, like you mentioned, pretty much doing nothing for you. Um, so this is a clear kind of action to go ahead and burn all the marketing books other than some of the OGs, scientific advertising, Ogilvy on marketing, you know, keep those because they actually matter. But um, that new one that came out a week ago probably isn't going to lock much for you. Sorry to say. And this is from someone who reads marketing books every other week. I'm in it. I'm like doing what you are avoiding, but I just do it to be like, I think there could be a nugget hidden in here. And 300 pages later, it's like, well, that was a that was a lot of time spent for uh, little reward, quote unquote. So that's a that's a really good one. I like that. Yeah. So final section. I know we talked a lot about what you guys do at Refine Labs, but this final section, I like to just open the floor for you to plug anything to the three to four subscribers or listeners that are still with us. Like, if there's anything you want to plug, the floor is yours. Stick it in the outlet. Um, this is what it. This is the time for. Yeah, that. I mean. If you're looking to learn, just follow us. We've got podcasts. We deliver content on LinkedIn, all that stuff. We're not hard to find. So we're uh, we're just looking to help marketers do better at the end of the day. So no big plug or anything from us. But, you know, we've all been in your shoes. We want to continue to do better. And we're also learning as we go. Yeah, make sure to pick up the $99 course on, no, just kidding, on Demand Gen. We're selling it. And then we have an upsell after it, a little bit of that uh, click funnel strategy. No, just kidding. Okay. Thank you for that. I'll include some things, some of the show, Demand Gen Live, all those things in the podcast notes 
So for any of the few listeners, check that out. And again, man, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun and I really feel uh, we had a good conversation. I learned a lot. So that's always my goal. Good. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. This was fun. So thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. You have a great Friday, man. You too. See ya. This is the end of the podcast.